Yo, 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 it's CJ Today Slayer from the Upgrade America podcast, the greatest show on earth. Uh, a couple corrections and edits uh, that I came off wrong that I said personally. Um, the J. Cole song I was referring to is called 1985, not 1983. Um, another thing is a fun fact for Black History Month. The writer... Sophia Stewart created Terminator 1, Terminator 2, and The Matrix. She won a billion dollar lawsuit for copyright infringement for creating those iconic movies that have made billions of dollars over the last 30 something years probably. Fun fact you didn't know. Also, the movie I was also trying to recommend was called See You Yesterday on Netflix. Black sci-fi movie. I think it's really cool. You guys check it out. Now on to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Like, share, subscribe. Upgrade America. This is what we do. I have a dream. I think I'm Martin Luther. I dream of equality for every single human being If you dare to follow me, beware the limit if the sky Dare to dream the impossible, move the obstacles aside Step aside, let's reject the racism Let's reject the hatred, I love them Redirect that energy, focus on 2020 Upgrade America, play the game, it's fun man And vote Cameron Rob, please donate to my campaign Every man can change I'm past my past, my future is fluorescent. What's up, world? I'm Cameron Ra, host and executive of Upgrade America, the greatest show on earth. Okay. Happy Valentine's Day to us all the ladies and of course to Nyasha. You know, hope y'all enjoy the holiday. And yo, CJ the day slay out there, man, in Orlando, what's happening, bro? Running that t-shirt you rocking there. Yeah, you know, I got the Black Panther, you know, stand up a little bit, you can see it, you know, representing for the most. You know, it's funny, it's funny you got that shirt on. I know mm-hmm. today we're talking about uh, black literature, and I forgot the other topics that we're discussing as well, but... We're going to discuss Black Panther a bit as far as it does tie in because its origins are from a comic book. It does, I, as a nerd, I think it ties in the literature. But um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting episode, everybody. Thank you for uh, for tuning in and supporting the channel. You got any opening remarks? Uh, nah, man, we just keeping this month rolling, trying to be positive, highlight our achievements as a people okay. in America, showing how integral we are to America, to everybody else. Um, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm ready to talk about some impeachment and, you know, some more black excellence. Yo, there's so much going on in the world right now, man. Yes. Difficult to try to stay on top of it, you know, particularly with a week long gap in between. Like by the time we publish it, something else is uh, is going down. But what do you want to lead off with, man? 
go ahead. No, I was gonna say I know you um you caught the Super Bowl and you you have some thoughts on on the QBs. You wanna you wanna leave with that? Yeah, man. Uh, it was the year of the black quarterback, which is very exciting this yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, I know everybody got mixed feelings in our community about protesting because of the Kaepernick thing and still supporting because you love football. So I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I really just probably watched the playoffs this year and like a couple of games because um, we do this lovely podcast for everybody. So... Yeah, the only three quarterbacks, black quarterbacks to win were Russell Wilson, Doug Williams, and now Patrick Mahomes. Out so of the for, um, for the sport illiterate people out there, can you, uh, can you name the teams? Uh, Doug Williams played for the Washington Redskins, which they're still fighting over the ethnic slur of Redskins. You know, I was, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, please continue. He was the first. I, I don't know what year. I, I, y'all can Google that. You know, I'm just throwing out the names. Um, and then you have Russell Wilson, who is married to the singer Sierra, for those who are into pop culture and know who she is. Um, he won the second Super Bowl as a black quarterback. And then third is now Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the quarterback of the Chiefs, which also has a Native American name that people have issue with too. So I can see the uh, Chiefs being more tolerable than the Redskins. It's like having yeah. a team called the Black Skins or the White Skins or the Pink Skins or the Yellow Skins. Like any other skin would be derogatory. But um, yeah, here we are agree. in 2020. Upgrade America. You know it. So I, I thought that was a little bit of cool history and pop culture. Um, I'm happy for the guy. Uh, it's cool to see Andy Reid. I like him as a coach mm-hmm. to get a championship. He used to be uh, the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles for many years. He knocked on the door for the championship, but never broke through until this year. So I'm pretty pumped for that fan base. They're a very loyal fan base, so that's pretty cool to see. What's up? Um, yeah. I know what else we got on here. We got a couple of topics to discuss. So as far as impeachment, like, <laughs> yeah, that happened. And here we are. <laughs> so, um, let me throw these questions at you, man. Yeah, go for so, it. So considering impeachment is a bipartisan effort, meaning like it takes both parties. It takes the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party to come to a consensus, an agreement, which they can't even do in in everyday lawmaking, let alone to remove a president from office. Taking that into consideration, was impeachment a waste of time, energy, and tax dollars? From your from your perspective. Yes. To me, I looked at it as political drama and posturing for each side of the aisle so democrats are posturing for this upcoming election and then republicans mm-hmm. are posturing for keeping the status quo interesting that's how i looked at it now it's like i get we need to have the process in place mm-hmm. but um and granted in this particular case what they were 
trialing Trump for, I consider petty. Like, granted, I know it, it was wrong, it was unethical, but I, I considered it to, to be quite petty. And my, my only concern is if, what if it was something major? Mm -hmm. You know, like what if uh, this, this incident, like you said, is, is something minor, but what if it was something major? Like, how would you remove a president and when, how do you say, politics are so polarized where mm -hmm. the Republican Party has, Trump has a vast support for, for from the Republican Party and uh, not so many allies uh, among the Democrats. So it's like, mm -hmm. again, he, I do believe uh, Trump made the, said these, this quote himself. I'll see if I can find that soundbite. Where he said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue broad day and he wouldn't go to jail. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. It's kind of looking like. This occurred and impeachment was the process to remove him from office. Does it work? I don't know because of the Senate, to be honest. Yeah. They showed that they ride from regardless, honestly. And that is, um, it's not shocking. It's a, I, I guess it's kind of a, a reminder. Mm -hmm. Like these are the mechanics of the, um, of the system that we're in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So let me, let me see if I got another one for you for impeachment. Okay. So how do you feel about the acquittal? Uh, <laughs> cynical, apathetic, annoyed. Um, from a big picture standpoint, because mm -hmm. kind of what you're saying, it has been pretty much petty stuff. Like Trump is pretty savvy as far as doing his dirt. I, I got to give him that credit. He's really savvy. Whatever he's doing is working. Um, but I think just the fact that these politicians are not working for the people. Yes, indeed. Like, that's the biggest gripe I have. Like, yo, like you had this, like I said, political soap opera for all these months, wasting money and got nothing done. You just got the stamp of impeached on them. But you and I did an episode on this. It takes like two other levels to fully impeach him or yeah. to get him to resign. Based on Trump's behavior and ego, you know he wasn't resigning unless he chose to. It's but again, it's like even you and I, from from our rudimentary uh, understanding of impeachment, mm -hmm. we could come to the conclusion before it even went down that it was most likely going to end in acquittal due to like um, it's not stalemate. What is the what is the term word? Like, it's not deadlock either. Pretty much where they can't reach an agreement. I don't want to say a hung jury either. Yeah, basically, like all those would describe what you're talking about. But it's like anyone can see that was going to be the case for it. So, as you mentioned, they hyped it up for, for so many weeks, and, and these are the results. Um, I got one more question before we slide okay. into a next one. Did this, you think this weakened or strengthened Trump's support? Strengthened by far. It's I only agree with you as well. I, and if anything, it made him a martyr because he was proven that 
guilt and um, again shame on you Democrats this one just kick you just kicked yourself but um yeah that's what I got for that I suppose I'm gonna we gotta discuss this Rush Limbaugh thing okay let's get into it let's go for and, it um, what overall what is your your I don't I don't think you're I don't know if you're an avid listener to his show but from what you know, what is, what is your perception of him? I knew him from name recognition, honestly. I do know of him. I never really followed him. Um, basically, I look at him as a polarizing figure. Yes, indeed. Political shock jock. Like Howard Stern is like a shock jock for radio, like in the, mm-hmm. I think, 80s, 90s. Uh, so that's what I kind of compare him to Rush Limbaugh. Like I compare Rush Limbaugh to him, actually. Um, so I don't yeah, know. They have the similar rhetoric, like him. Not in, no, not I necessarily. Think, wasn't Al Stern more of a liberal? Yes, I, I'm not comparing. I'm comparing them to like um, not ideologies. I'm Just their position, them. what they, yeah. what they like. I can't tell what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I um, and I'm not. I don't recall how long he's been doing his show, but I do believe he's been doing it when I was in high school. And uh, some of the more racist people, they were big fans of him. And I recall hearing some quotes him calling Barack Obama the Magic Negro, and just I don't know, just uh, the the way he communicates things. it's not like he's he's out there with Confederate flag, but you get a air of uh, and, I, and I want to be careful calling calling people racist, but you, you get that you get that vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are your thoughts of him receiving a, a prestigious medal on the same uh, level of uh, how do you say? It? Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa and, and other public figures like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess a follow-up question would be, what has he done that's so... What do you do to deserve it? <laughs> um, I'll be pretty candid. Hey, that's how we, we like that here. Yeah, I'm kind of indifferent about awards i know this is prestigious mm-hmm. but seeing how this administration has been everything has been kind of like a reality show in essence so mm-hmm. i'm not very surprised that happened and i looked at it from the standpoint that those figures that you mentioned mlk and mother Teresa, are probably figures that trump doesn't care two shits about <laughs> but knowing his base, this is very savvy by Trump. I got to give it to him. On top of the illness angle, sympathy and all that, it was perfect for him to do something like that. Because then it showed him in a different light, like he's gracious and compassionate. Whether you like to believe it or not, that's how I looked at the whole thing. Very interesting. Um... Yeah, yeah, I think that's all I really want to say on that. But um, what do you want to transition transition into to next? Um, let's talk about 
Education. Let's just jump right into it. Find them down. Throw one at me, man. All right. Um, do you know of any famous scholars in Black history that you can think of off the top of your head? And you're saying off the top of my head, no, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Okay. That's a, that's a shame on me. There was a, the famous Black scholar I mentioned last week who pretty much created Black History Month. But mm -hmm. I mean, like, I consider Frederick Douglass like a scholar. I know he was a writer and... and yeah, orator, yeah. To, to some extent, but it's like, I'm not fully familiar with his his, his literature. Like to where I can quote something from, from one of the things he wrote like that. So it's, um, I, I want to say no for as far as black scholars, but who, who uh, rings a bell in your mind off the top? I was, um, I was on the same token. I hate to say it and it probably is embarrassing on the same token, I mean, but. I don't know any scholars like, yeah. off the top. Like, I guess like Einstein, if, if you consider him a scholar, but like, how guess, are we defining scholar anyways? I don't know. I guess just educational achievement, like figures hmm. in that realm, I guess would be the best way. <sighs> Any, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this raises another issue that why we brought this up is because we're not taught this growing up. <laughs> that is true. Um, um, I don't know if you, you want to do a quick Google search on who's uh, the most noteworthy black scholar. Yeah, let's do that. Because we, we all about learning on this podcast, too. We're not going to always have the answers. And we learn just like you guys as we're doing the podcast. So let's take a quick look here. I guess oh. W.E. Du Bois would be one. Okay, am I recall, but again, it's from book reports and stuff. Yeah. Black scholars. Check this out right here. Who's popping up? So Henry Louis Gates Jr. Oh, kind of. Okay. Or no rest. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of it like that. You know, he was in The Matrix, the second one. Really? Maybe the third one, too. Huh. He was one I of like the elders at the, um, how do you say, of, of the council in Zion. In Zion. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, It took me a while to put two and two together. So there's James H. Cone, Manning Marable, Kane Hope Felder, Katie Cannon. Larry Neal, to name a few. Wow, these are names I've never heard. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, wow. I'm saying uh, I'm, I'm I'm saying the same thing, and I'm, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm quite embarrassed. Uh, nah, don't. So ill-informed. Um, this is what we'll do. We'll segue into the next question. I ask you real quick. Yeah. Why aren't Black Americans recognized educational for their educational achievements versus other groups in America? Because this highlighted a problem just naming somebody. Well, Why do you think? I, I hate to revert back to the same answer that I gave last week. Is that 
Black History's Black History Month was uh, a lot of energy was not put into it, mm-hmm. and it's just gradually starting to people are, are are gradually starting to appreciate it more. Like people like as you mentioned, it became a thing. Like Black History Month became a, a thing in like 1976, and so it took that long to you know to roll it out and to improve it. And they're still improving it. But people who grew up with Black History, because you know we grew, we came up in the, you know, born in the '80s, came through, up in school through the through the '90s, you know. Now we're out doing Black History as well. You know, we're, we're promoting it as well, and it's only going to get larger as you know the information spreads. But uh, again, to answer your question, is just because a lack of emphasis. I I give I give my two cents. I think I don't know, and it, it might sound like uh, cynical or messed up, but I think just other groups in America, mainstream America, just doesn't want to give us the credit that we're excellent people. I agree. To some and I think, yeah, and I think it stems to if we're not entertaining or playing sports, we're not worth anything. That's doing this podcast for this month. This is mm. something I've been wrestling with. If we're not entertaining or doing sports, which is a form of entertainment, yeah. um, or comedians or actors or something like that, we're not worth talking about. That's 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 how I feel. And um, to, to take it back to it, an entertainer bumping his instrumental right now. Jay Z mentioned like all blacks got is sports and entertainment. And uh, coming up as as a kid, I kind of believed that because I didn't know about like you know black people in tech, black inventors, and things of that nature. And it just made me think like that's that's all there is. It's like if you can't uh, you can't play sports, you can't sing or or dance or whatever. Like you have no future. And um, that is, I won't say it's depressing, but like, you know, doing some research, finding out that that's not true, getting in, gradually getting enlightened, you know, it's, uh, can be eye opening. But again, like, that's a, that's what we're doing here, man. We have to show people that. But. All right, hit me with something. Yeah, yeah, let me check real quick. Um, 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 so we're okay. My notepad is bugging up. Okay, here we are. So, um, as far as education, is there still segregation in education today? I got some interesting, I got an interesting fact for you. New York City is the most segregated school district in the u.s i believe it said wow. yeah public schools most segregate segregated that's kind of wild mm-hmm. i'm very uh but you got any more stats on that on that like um it's pretty that- much go ahead no, i'm just curious how does that happen really it's pretty much this is I'm going to just read a short excerpt and people can do a little bit more research or we'll provide links or whatever in the podcast. But um, 
basically it comes down to gentrification mm. and then it comes down to a specialized high school admission test for offers to attend highly selective public high schools so you got barriers to entry for kids that come oh from latino or black um neighborhoods or whatever That's uh, pretty shocking, but it's like, you know, living in New York, while it is a melting pot, I will agree that the neighborhoods are quite segregated. Like you got, um, I lived in what, down by uh, Church of Nostrum, East Flatbush, uh -huh. straight Caribbean, like that's all it is, it's Caribbean neighborhood for, for blocks. Then you mm -hmm. go to, uh, I know there's a lot of big Puerto Rican neighborhood in Bushwick. I know the Bronx is like a lot of Hispanic neighborhoods out there. I lived out there too. But mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I, I guess I could see how that, that, that would happen is, uh, you know, with the segregation. Because uh, how do you how do you fix that? Eliminating uh, areas or what? Well, I mean, I guess you got a question involving that, right? Because I can tackle it. I can read off everything, how to fix basically uh, all that stuff. Say that again? I said, I think you have other questions, right? Like, um, we uh, can discuss. Yeah, so, um, How can inner city schools boost graduation rates? And does culture and trends have anything to do with the inner city graduation? Okay, so what do you mean by culture and trends? Let me ask you to specify what you mean. So, okay, I'll just get to it. So I was having this similar conversation with a colleague at work. Shout out to Mike P. But he... He brought up an interesting point about uh, inner city schools in Newark and how I believe it was like Mark Zuckerberg and a couple other billionaires. They threw like three billion into the um, into those school districts uh -huh. and it only resulted in like, I don't know, let's call it a four percent graduation increase or something along those lines. And the point was that throwing money at an issue is not going to make it change. You know, it's not going to, you can't throw X amount of millions at an issue and then graduation will, will go up. What he was trying to entail that is a cultural thing. Mm. Like, um, I guess you could, if you want to bring out the stats on single parents among the black community, mm -hmm. like, what are, what do you think those stats are? And does, does that influence uh, graduation rates? Kids going, uh, growing up with um, single parents, and mm -hmm. and I, and I, 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 I was getting in that 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 you know that conversation with him, and I'm really uh, my hands were bound. I'm like, what can the state do? What can the state do if it's like okay, the teacher is like, hey, your your child is not doing their homework. They can't. What what can they do administratively? And how do you how do you hold the, the parents accountable? It's it's kind of difficult. So, to answer like uh, 
this question, I found something interesting. Okay. Even though they're controversial charter schools, they seem to have a formula that works as far as graduation rates. Interesting. So I'm looking at this Urban Prep Academies. I guess it's like the parent company, sort of. They're nonprofit. Um, they take donors and all this stuff. But the one, let's see, started in 2002 by Tim King and a group of African-American education, business, and civic leaders. Okay. Um, let's see. It's current, it currently operates a campus in Inglewood, California, I believe. Or no, I take that back. It looks like Inglewood in Chicago, Bronzeville, Inglewood, and near the West Side neighborhoods. Okay, so this is a quick little formula what they've done. Small class sizes, rigorous curriculum, regular assessments. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> um, diverse extracurricular programs, devoted teachers, positive school culture, and comprehensive approach to education. So they're saying this has yielded 100% graduates being admitted to college. So Cornell, Dartmouth, mm -hmm. um, Georgetown, Morehouse, Northwestern, University of Illinois, University of Rochester, the University of Virginia, just to name a few. So charter schools are private? It's weird. It's like they're in between private and public. It's like it works off a donor system and sponsors and that. And anyone can attend these schools or like how does that work? Yes. Uh it looks like um da, 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 da. I'm just looking. Yeah, they pretty much accept everybody, but what I've noticed it looks like typically um black kids it looks like are going there based on the geographical location interesting so i found that interesting that there are examples of showing excellence in how to do it but it's to get it nationwide is the challenging part i've heard um my sister's in a teacher's union one of the last unions, uh, I believe, in, in PA. And like, um, I hear there's mixed feelings about charter schools. Yeah, and I've heard that too. I'm not too familiar with the pros and cons, but perhaps we can get someone from the education system to further discuss that. Because mm -hmm. I'm curious about education. This is something that we really need to take into consideration in order to upgrade America. Because you know it. So we can't teach kids the same way we are teaching them, you know, like in the 1920s. Like I heard our, yeah. our education system was modeled, it had its advent in the industrial revolution with the mm -hmm. factory, the emergence of factories and stuff. So it could get kids into school and then into working into factories. It was that whole industrial uh, type of... Uh, I don't know, like it's like training, you know, it's like pre-training for, for to get into the factories and we're, we're deviating from that. Yeah. Too much better. But um, what curriculum changes would you implement to increase graduation rates? So like this is... Stuff. Like, 
like I'm reading, I'm still reading off this page because it, it had pretty much it named everything I would do, but it did it better than I would name it. But um, maybe I should rephrase my question, not necessarily okay. graduation rates, but to better prepare kids for like the, you know, for the workforce or even post graduation. Okay, so on this page, what I was reading from earlier, mm -hmm. this is what they do. So they have an academic art which is they call it the arcs like arc um so they focus on reading writing and public speaking they focus on service sense of responsibility by identifying community needs and completing volunteer programs to address those needs activity arc so they do they participate in one school sponsored activity per year sports teams and clubs in order to fully develop their confidence and a personal skills, leadership qualities, and respect for others. Then the professional art, college art, mm -hmm. provides opportunities for students to spend time in a professional setting on, no, let's see, a professional setting or on a college campus to increase the understanding of the wider world, reinforce character and leadership development. Huh? Like an internship? Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay. But you're doing all this while you're attending school, like you're getting put in these environments. And while you're at the school, you're in that environment as well, in your own school. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think the only thing I would add to this, which I kind of felt the way about, is like tech. I didn't really see anything about tech, STEM, um, trades. I would incorporate that. That's big. We need to get back to doing that. Now, what do you mean by STEM? STEM, like science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Um, but other things they did mention, family and community involvement. So that was one thing you mentioned with the single families, single mm -hmm. parent families. So it sounds like what they do overall, I, I'll shorten this is they use a more, my favorite keyword, holistic approach to educating the student. So they tap into the family. Okay, is the family underemployed, unemployed? Are they disabled? Are the kids getting enough to eat? Or do they have clean clothes? Like, I'm pretty sure they do some kind of profile on the kid to figure out what their needs, what needs aren't being met at home. Mm -hmm. They give with the parent, get with the, uh, cadre of uh teachers social workers like all these therapists all this and come together and build a plan for the kids because if they got smaller class size they're able to do that thing you'd be able to give more intimate attention to the kids now what are, ideally what are the class sizes um it didn't really say i'm assuming eight to ten i'm guessing wow uh, eight to ten Maybe eight to ten or ten to twenty. I could see t uh, twenty being the max, mm -hmm. but eight is like that's pretty impressive. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just I'm just spitting that off the door. I have to do more research, but you know. Nah, that's yeah. my questions for education. What do you got for me? I had one more. If so we know Brown versus Board, the education when they went to the Supreme Court saying, hey, blacks weren't. 
Yeah, board yeah. versus education. We know that law case. So if you don't know, Google it. But basically, I'm asking the question based off if that didn't happen. Okay. Mm. If that didn't happen, but if schools were segregated, but we had equal funding with, say, our white counterparts or other communities, how do you think our education, how how do you think our group would be affected today? Um, well, you brought up an interesting point on last week's podcast where you said, like, isolation breeds stagnation with your, you know, with just evolution. And I think if it's like, if everyone was, if you're asking just focus on, on us, mm-hmm. well, let me ask, throw one back at you. Okay. Because where do, to some degree, you could say inner schools, inner city schools are, are very much segregated, mm-hmm. right? Already, but not with equal resources. It's it's difficult to say, because mm-hmm. it's like we see the segregation now, and at the same time, it's not with equal resources in it, and financially, like what do they say is the economic totem pole for like wealth? I thought it was like white males get paid the most then they're saying like asians or something like that and then maybe it it is blacks and hispanics or it could be could have flipped since the last i checked but i'm not too sure but um it's it's really difficult to say man because here's the thing it's like isolation is is, unless you're going into an isolated uh workforce mm-hmm. you're, you're setting yourself up for failure you know like the the market is diverse and if you're going if you're going through the education system isolated you know then you're, you're not going to be ready for a, a diverse market a diverse uh workplace and i don't know but are you referring to how you do graduation wise just in general as a whole because the reason i, asked I just want to be I, I just want to be an optimist and assume that you know that we we will progress and and succeed but there, there are handicaps to that as well I, i'm gonna push back on you from this standpoint we had universities hbcus historical black universities created mm-hmm. for the reason because Mainstream America, white America didn't necessarily want us going to college with them. So they said, all right, we'll give you your own colleges so you can go to your own colleges, which in turn has produced most of the figures we've been talking about. Excellent. You raise a very great point. So that's why I asked the question, because I'm thinking of just my grandparents' generation and back. They had black school teachers, men and women. Right, but it's like Harvard and Columbia gave us our first black president. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah, but I'm look like all the people we named. Granted, they've gone to Ivy League schools as well, but a lot of the people we've named have gone to historical black universities. 
So that is a form of segregated education. That's the point I was making. That's why I asked it the is. question. So I didn't even take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just like, um, we have to find a way to where we don't need to do that. Because mm-hmm. right. if we just keep, we're just per- going to perpetuate segregation. It's just like, let's let's stop everyone from coming together. It's just another barrier keeping everyone together. And mm-hmm. I don't have the answer on how how we can do that, but um, we need to find a way to do that. And uh, that's just that's just my opinion. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm all for for black excellence, but I'm I'm for everyone's excellence as well, mm-hmm. no matter what the the color of their skin is. And um, I don't know, dude. I know it's a tough question, but it's more like a critical thinking. Like like let's really dig into this because, from my perspective, I'll ask you this question. Okay. Can you name the most influential black teachers you've had in your school years? How many of them are there? Hmm. Well, not many. I can count. I can count probably three, and K through twelve. Well, I went to school in like South Central PA, so like there was not a lot of. A lot of black, a lot of black teachers. Well, well my my town was pretty much what seventy percent black. Okay. What should I tell you? And again, I think that is changing. Mm-hmm. Like more black people are getting into education because, like, and I don't know. I mean, my sister's in the school district now. I know, I'm pretty sure there's some other, you know, there's more black teachers getting into it. I considered doing it. That Remember they had that um, Troops to Teachers, I think was the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my mom told me to do it actually. She and said and I, I thought about like, you know, teaching history or something like that, but I'm like, nah, I'd be too real. <laughs> like I teach history too, way too real. Particularly yeah. black history. <laughs> You know, but um, I don't know. Maybe that's something I would pursue in in the future. But it's like people have to to step up to that challenge. You know, sure. People people have to, particularly more black people. We need to step up to that challenge. And um, I do believe the one of the parameters for the troop the teachers program was that you have to teach in inner city schools, like in poor inner city schools. And I think it's like, these are the schools that, you know, that you can make a difference in. Even if it's for like one student, you can still uh, make a difference in someone's life. I'll I'll share a quick story real quick while we're on this. Um, My friend, she did like outreach stuff and she would do like, uh, what was it called? It's called Elevate here in Orlando. And one day she wasn't able to do like a class on I think it was work ethic and something else. I can't remember. And she asked me to fill in and speak for the class and like mm-hmm. present for the class. And it was it's a it's a mainly black high school. What's what's the high school? Ah, let me get it right. In Orlando, Evans High School. 
it's in a predominantly Caribbean black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, yo, I, I can tell you being in front of those students and talking about work ethic and like my PowerPoint didn't work. So I had to kind of do it off the dome and like a little slideshow. Yeah. To see their reactions and how they were actually captivated listening to me talk was very rewarding. And um, they all wrote me like cards and stuff. I know it was kind of pushed on through the nonprofit, which is Elevated Orlando, but it was still cool to see. I still have the cards. Um, it was cool to see, like, damn, like I made a difference just in that one class. Yeah. Imagine doing it for a year. Yeah, so I don't know. It was very inspiring. I always remember that memory. And I'll say another thing about the segregated education. We already segregated. It's all based on your zip code anyway, yep. education-wise. So I would say if you want to keep us segregated, give us the money to do it, and we'll do it ourselves Like at this point. Or we can figure out a way to fund everything like the charter school or completely independent schools where we don't have to worry about corporate sponsors and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think if we can get to that, not saying, I think it's important for black kids to gain diversity, but also learn about their culture based on what we've been talking about. We're not taught our culture in school anyway. So why not have us teach it anyway? If we're not going to be taught in regular school that's integrated so that's my big point um to have a, a school k through 12 to teach you everything and then when you go out into the world you have self-esteem you have confidence you know where you come from you know what i'm saying you have the skills to compete compared to I'm not saying all schools are bad, but compared to being in an integrated school where most of your teachers are white females, let's be honest, Mm. or white males, and then a handful of minority uh, teachers, depending on where you're at. Um, And then we don't even talking about the discrimination that black teachers face teaching in an integrated school. We're not even talking about that. Interesting. The challenge they face on an everyday basis, just trying to teach kids from their staff. Yeah, so ha- I think having our own schools would benefit us better overall, I think. That's interesting. It's just trying to... Um... So they're already cutting education funding, like from a federal level. Yeah. So who's going to pay for the rents? That's the tricky part because schools, especially public schools, are funded by wealth, communities, uh, yeah. zip code. So you're right. You bring that fact up and that's the unfortunate part. So it's like... Because here's the thing, if you raise the taxes, Uh let's just say uh, the majority of the kids, they live in a building, right? Uh The renters aren't paying the property tax, but the landlords are. So if you Uh raise the property tax, do you pay for better schooling, then rent is going to go up. Uh And then you're almost just 
how do you say um, pushing gentrification? Like, uh, yeah. how how do you do that? We gotta be creative. We are resilient and creative people. I mean, we are in the 21st century where we have access to technology and other unique methods of education. And I think we're pretty resourceful. So it's I funny think you should say technology. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I work with, in a Fortune 200 company. They're mm-hmm. always trying to cut costs. All corporations are trying to cut costs. One of the things they considered was letting, like, they let us work from home on Fridays. We work remote or, or you know, work remote wherever, outside yeah. of office. The, there was a consideration to let everyone work remote, like, 100%. Mm. Just to cut the cost on the building and the infrastructure. I've heard and of this. Constant. I can only imagine what, uh, you know, renting an entire skyscraper, the price on that is, you know, yeah. and, and cutting costs there. But it's not even that. It's like, I'm not even going to get started on, uh, you know, technology and clouds and, you know, uh, yeah. cloud computing and, and things of that nature. But where I was going is that could you, through distance learning, through online learning, could you cut the costs and then still give kids what they need through a like how we're interacting right now through a like this you and me we're, we're, we're talking we're, we're directly communicating information I, I i feel that people can learn the same way is that a possibility in the future yeah i think it's going to go to that i've been seeing digital virtual schools and stuff on the rise a lot of homeschooling on the rise um private schools like uh very small private schools on the rise more people are turning towards that especially with these school shootings and like you said federal cuts to um stuff like that so kind of parents are taking it upon themselves like listen i'm gonna control the outlook for my kids because based on my environment, it's not working. So I got to figure something else out. So yeah, I could see that being a big part of the future of education is distance learning and stuff like that. Yep, virtual reality. I took more online courses than Mm -hmm. I did like face-to-face courses to get my degrees. And it's like, that's a thing now. Like it's at the end of the day, it's, it's, you, you gotta, you're learning something and we can't again we can't uh, expect everyone to uh, to teach how how things were like in the 20th century it's now the 21st true um i totally agree with you on that and i think it'll come i think it's coming i'm pretty sure the school is doing that already well i kind of want to transition into black excellence Okay. I suppose we're going to merge that with, um, well, yeah, Black Excellence is, is pretty broad. So, this is okay. So, what would you consider the Black Wall Street of today? The most modern example I can think of right now is Atlanta. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Based on me living there for a few months and have an affinity for just going there, 
Um, we met there. We had a good time. Yeah, yeah. CNN um, headquarters did a photo yeah. out there. But it's looking very much like New York, like the southern New York. All the glass condos and, and tall buildings and stuff. Like, is from your perspective, do you think ATLs becoming gentrified too? Yeah, it's a mixture of that, but I would say overwhelmingly, like when I'm there, it feels like home is the best way I describe it. And people either hate Atlanta or love Atlanta. There's no in between. Um, if you talk to most black Americans or just people in general, um, I like it there. But I don't know why it's a comfortable feeling. And it shows, I guess it leads to the broader thing that when they say repre representation matters. What do you mean to, by that? To see like everything around you is black for the most part. I'm not saying it's not other groups in the land, they are. But to see majority of everything around you black, like advertisements, like business owners, to see like everything your whole environment like black is a comfort it's a comfortable feeling that on a on that large of a scale is amazing i was gonna say and it's thriving it's yes it's exactly. everything everything black known as but atlanta is thriving on a on an unprecedented scale and i, I felt the same thing from my experience as well like this mm. is pretty amazing and like i could I could live in Atlanta for a bit. I, I may, I may check the scene out down there a little bit more. But from what I seen, it was, it was a pretty spectacular city. But, um, uh, I guess another example. I guess you can kind. I think Atlanta is the best example. But I would say mm -hmm. number two would be Harlem's holding on a little bit. I like. I do. Yeah, I do see that, and I like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Harlem Black Theater. They're doing their thing out there, but oh man, the food and the restaurants in Harlem, 125th Street. Shout out the uh, Black Rooster. Uh, what else I see out there, man? They actually have this thing. It's called the Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's called the. I forget. It's like the Obama Special or something like that. But mm -hmm. it's like a wonderful glazed prime rib, and then they have this little lobster salad. They made a presidential meal. Like in honor of him up there, but yeah, Harlem is definitely holding it down. But uh, I wanted to say, do black entertainers have responsibility for shaping of black culture and black perception? You saying, do they have the responsibility? Do you think they should? They no, no. Huh? I, this is this is check this out from this angle. I think that starts at home, your family, your community, teachers, people mm -hmm. around you is what's supposed to shape you as a person. But we're the only group that one person represents everybody. We're the only group that has that burden compared to mm -hmm. other groups. So when you and I walk out every day, we have the burden of we're judged just on our actions for our whole group, our whole ethnic group. Yeah, as I mentioned, we are we are the ambassadors of our race, but everyone is too. It's not just black. Nah, nah I, I disagree. I think yeah. body else gets a pass compared to us. We're the only group, and this is my opinion. Why I feel do you think like. <sighs>
based on based on traveling too, what are the most common things you ran into when you were traveling? Traveling is wonderful and everything, but think about the stereotypical stuff you ran into while you were traveling. <laughs> talking about people, overseas? Huh? You're talking about overseas? Yes. Oh, just uh, had numerous young ladies tell me like, oh, like, thought all black people sing and dance. So, like, well, this guy ain't a singer or a dancer. <laughs> what else stereotypes? Um, Athlete, you know, yeah. actor, whatever. I, I raised that point because America has done the perfect PR job and propaganda machine on our group by far because Oh, don't even get me started on that, man. Like when you <laughs> when there is a black person in a feature movie, like let's take Transformers for instance. Like yeah, Tyrese's role was there for comic relief. He mm-hmm. was like say some slick shit, go in there and make people laugh, ha ha and then like yo, that's that's your role. But they did that to Mark Epps. Like every time there's a, a movie they Michael Epps they they, they would have black person there is just for for comedy and this is your role like and mm-hmm. yeah that's that's been perpetuated but you're absolutely right they did a, a a fantastic job and for overseas it's like what they see on mtv mm-hmm. like these little gangster rappers these little thugs like they think everyone is like that and it mm-hmm. couldn't be further from the truth and those guys on tv they're posers but on that's another episode <laughs> so you say no, but I I do want to butt back on you okay, said it's okay. like it starts at home. Celebrities have so much power, more power than than we acknowledge. Cheers. I was at um, getting some food somewhere, and I seen this little kid standing in line. They're singing some, probably three or four years old, but singing some gangster shit. Like, and then he's like, really singing that shit hard. I'm like. This is a kid, like that's that's singing something that that adults are, you know, are are, are listening to, and it's uh, these uh, celebrities have a lot of power. Music has a lot of power, and it's yeah. like you take um, remember how we were in Korea, mm-hmm. and I do believe that was a couple years post Black Album. Mm-hmm. Jay Z black album, but what was everybody rocking? The button ups, because Jay Z told us to wear them. <laughs> like it's. He, I mean, I mean, I've been went there and told everybody to wear like Levi's, and the next day everyone would be rocking Levi's because it's just that it, it's that much power. And mm-hmm. fashion is one thing, but you know, with values and, and things, it's, it's another. And for single parents, kids who are coming up with no father figures. Their father figures are, are are their you know are the rappers, athletes, and, and things of that nature. And if they're not positive, then guess what? It's not going to manifest positive things. But uh, I can say that personally because I, I dealt with that. Like I didn't have any father positive father figures, and I looked up to gangster rappers, and I uh, and I ventured down that path. Fortunately, I made it to the wonderful United States Air Force post the brief incarceration. But you know what I'm saying? Like, poor. Poor. It's, uh, I don't know. 
I think that celebrities, they don't, they're not obligated, but they should take it into consideration. Like, yo, millions and millions and millions of kids are looking up to you, you know, and um, that's power. With great power, I'm gonna quote Uncle Ben from uh, from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Yo, I'm gonna throw this back at you, and it's ironic, you're gonna laugh, but J. Cole has the perfect song for what we're talking about. Okay. 1983 off of his KOD album is a perfect song that encapsulates exactly what we're talking about. Okay. But one of the lines was like, it was dope. He was like, yeah, they listen. He's talking about white America because they consume pretty much all the rap albums. They go to pretty much the most concerts, all that. They're the biggest consumers, right? He said, he broke it down. He said, it's cool when they're young until they become older, then you're no longer hot. Now what are you gonna do? Basically. Meanwhile, you got away from your core fan group who got you there, which is our our community in a way. I think he said it in a way. And now you're just with gold chains and all this, but you broke, you don't have, you didn't take care of your family, you didn't have positive enough messages in your music. You didn't become a role model for the people that looked up to you. Like he broke all of that down in that one song. And I, I think it was pretty I cool. I can't blame the, you know, the, the rappers. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's, we get caught up in that life. It, it's fast and it's like, of course. aware of, you know, of, of your power and, and influence. But mm-hmm. uh, at least the, the one thing that I, try, I do my best to is I don't curse in any of my music. Like, uh, I make songs all day and I never drop one curse word, no N-words, nothing like that. So my content can be a little uh, controversy, but at the same time, I I at least want to deliver that, you know, uh, clean. And that's, that's my contribution to, you know, to making more virtuous music. But um, on, on the, the subject of black excellence. Okay, go ahead. Let's keep going. Um, how has Tyler Perry's ATL studio affected Hollywood? I don't think it's affected it yet. I think it will in the future. Now that it's up, I think it is to be determined. I kind of left it right there. I'm like, yo, it's dope. It's huge. It's beautiful. All that good stuff. But let's see what we do with it now that we have it. Okay. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Is it like only for Tyler Perry productions or is it like other movies, other black movies? Other other people can film movies there. That's the key to me. And I think if all the black creatives go there and film, Mm -hmm. then that's what's going to shake up Hollywood. The status quo would be broken forever. If everybody decides, hey, listen, this dude got enough studios where we can all make a movie at the same time. This director, this director. Like, how amazing is that? That is pretty spectacular. And um, it's just, I think it's, we need to get more people into that game and entertainment. And I think by him having that there, it's going to diffuse a lot of barriers, you know, that may have been present in Hollywood. 
And that's why, like you said, it, it may not change it. It may not be threatening it now, but in the future, I could see a lot getting getting done with that. Yeah. Um, I got one more for you. Okay. You shot me a really cool uh, video. I think it was Joaquin Phoenix. Was it? He was mentioning about the lack of black participation in the, in the Oscars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should there be? Should there be affirmative action in the Oscars, or at least a category for, for black films? And if there is, pardon me, I haven't seen the Oscar in like ever. Me too. Um, no. This is my mindset. I think the Oscars are going to do what it wants to do anyway. It's shown that. One of the first Oscar winners was what Hattie McDaniel. She played she played like a servant or something back in like the thirties or something way back. She couldn't even attend the Oscars. Yeah, I heard about that. She couldn't even. um, uh, Nas mentioned that in in a line, Mm -hmm. like she couldn't even go to the Oscars. But um, that's wild, man. That is wild. It's that racial historic uh, background. Well, let me throw a couple other ones at you, and this is interesting. Denzel won his Oscar off of what movie? Training Day. Training Day. Halle won her Oscar off of what movie? Monsters Ball. Mm. So when you are rewarded, oh, the last one that won, I think, an Oscar was Green Book. It took place. Are you familiar with that movie? I didn't watch it, but did you hear about it or no? I didn't hear about it. Okay, I'll give you a quick synopsis. So, Imagine you're on a road trip with your family. The year is 1954 and you're black. Segregation is law in the South and basically practiced everywhere else in America. You're traveling down the famed Route 66 and you've just reached Albuquerque, New Mexico for the first time. There's not another town for miles and you want to pull over and sleep for the night. There are over a hundred motels to choose from, but less than eight will take you in. Picking the wrong one could lead to a humiliating encounter, or worse, a violent one. But there was actually a way to know where you'd be welcome. It was in the Green Book. Well, basically, it's this black entertainer, singer or something like that, and he had a, I don't know if that was his bodyguard or manager or a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I think he's Italian. I'm not sure, but I think he's Italian. So the Green Book is based off of back in the day around segregation and all those times. Black people had what is called a green book. All the places you could eat, stay, party, all this stuff nationwide. So if you have this green book, you know the safe places to go because you know how racially charged America was back then. Wow. So this guy is touring through, I think, the South. I forgot where he was from, the singer guy. Um, I don't remember his name or everything. I have to find more details when we put this up. But um, basically, the story goes along and it shows like how he faced discrimination. Well, this Italian guy is with him, didn't know, basically didn't think about racism like that. But traveling with him while he's doing the shows, he figured out, oh, snap, this racism stuff is pretty bad. Yeah. And it goes back to one of the other things we were talking about, how when we do win awards it's for historically stereotypical kind of roles Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so basically this guy was playing not something necessarily heroic or anything like that but it's like 
what do they call it? Um, it's a term they use for Hollywood and movies. White, like the guy was a white savior to him. I see. So, but that one won, uh, I think, an Oscar. And another movie that won the Oscar was, uh, I think, Moonlight or was up for the Oscar or something like that. And that was talking about, and I have no problem with the gay community, but that was showing it was because it, it won an Oscar because of its uh, presentation of black love in the gay community. Like showing that. Like I said, I have no problem with the gay community, but we seem to only win for certain type of roles. We don't win for Black Panther. We don't win for Glory. We don't win for, um, I'm just thinking of, any other movie well jamie fox won the oscar for ray so that's probably the one example that was like showing excellence okay um yeah so that's my thoughts on oscar i don't think um and, and i'm not a big fan of affirmative action either because it feels like you're just here just to make the quota you know you're mm -hmm. just here just for, for the you know because we must do it but at the same time, I think at least reserving some spotlight to showcase some uh, black films, mm -hmm. it, it will get it worldwide recognition. And I think that's something that's not often given to, uh, you know, I don't know, just something that, I, again, I'm not big on these awards. I care less about these. I'm with you on that too. I know for the actors and actresses, it helps them get paid more. They get more opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I know for that reason, that's why they strive to say get those. But I think we should focus more on our own awards and, you know, celebrate our people and our contributions to the culture of society and cinema and music and all this and art. And all that. I think we should do our own thing and do it all at Tyler Perry Studios. Why not? Televise it ourselves and don't even worry. You know, stream it online or something. We got technology now. I, I did want to mention, uh, and I, I, I agree with you, but while we got your Black Panther shirt on there, I did want to mention um, while there are, while Black Panther is a, uh, a Black superhero, his conception was not uh, from a African-American or, or a black person. He is the creator of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And with that taken into consideration, I suppose I do want to uh, take a moment to honor some other uh, black comic book creators. And okay. Comic book fan. So, I just pulled up. Give me one moment, but do okay. you know any uh, black comic book characters um, beyond Black Panther? Um, uh, let's see. Well, Blade—that's one of my favorites, obviously. <laughs> um, who's another one I really like? You know it. <laughs> so um, Dwayne Glenn McDuffie. Uh huh. And I'll be real, like, a lot of his stuff I'm not familiar with. His mm. books are Static Shock, Rebirth of the Cool, Hardware, and The Machine. He's not mm -hmm. so much uh, a comic book writer. 
Where's the guy I was looking for? There's a couple guys that actually produced uh, comics for DC. Okay. I'm trying to think of black comic character because you raise a good point. Was Bishop on X Men? I think Bishop he was, was black. Yeah, he's a time. Um, Storm. I'm trying to find you. Uh, okay, so um, Luke Cage, hero for hire. Yeah. I like. I do believe is he DC? No, he's Marvel. Yeah, yeah, I think he's Marvel. So anyway, oh, no, he, no, was, Marvel. he was he uh, was conceptualized by. He was conceptualized by uh, Billy Graham. Okay. But these are, again, like I said, uh, these are black superheroes who are created by black people. Oh, okay. That's dope. Okay. That's why I wanted to take a moment to, to honor them. So, Robert L. Washington III. So, Robert L. Washington III was an American writer of comic books known for creating static in the shadow cabinet okay so the shadow cabinet is a group of heroes i do believe it's a group of black heroes but they uh this was with dc comic books gotcha and um let me see who else i got on here matt baker clarence matthew baker was an american comic book artist and illustrator best known for drawing early comic heroes heroines such as costume crime fighter phantom lady and mm-hmm. other romance comics but he's a he's this this guy was a bit older so i'm not seeing a bunch of stuff that that i recognize but um, okay i just wanted to throw those those guys out there and also ask you one more question okay beyond budget mm-hmm. what do you think is keeping black people out of sci-fi Um, you talking about creating sci-fi? Yeah, because I, I saw an interesting video about Afrofuturism, and more or less it's about okay. black people getting into uh, how do you say into sci-fi and, and, and things of that nature. And the lady was saying that because our history is so messed up, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the present is to some extent is. It, it, it can it kind of sucks too you know for uh for where we are that black people are struggling to envision themselves in the future greg tate has spoken about how black people live the alienation that science fiction writers imagined The parallels between black life and sci-fi storylines are blatant. Despite this, there has been a glaring exclusion of black people from works of science fiction. As such, one might think that black people would shy away from speculative fiction and instead opt to focus on the present. We need to represent blackness and black people within every realm. We need to be able to see that that imagination is key and representation has to do with allowing ourselves to be able to let our imaginations take flight. That that creative impulse, that's essential. Afrofuturism is an art form, practice, and methodology that allows black people to see themselves in the future despite a distressing past and present. 
It calls upon sci-fi imagery and futuristic ideas to reflect upon the marginalization of Black people. Practitioners conceptualize an array of visions of what a Black future could look like. Mm. I, uh, that's why she said she thinks that's why you know a lot of people are not in a lot of black people are not in sci-fi that makes um while i i do i do like star wars they they did a a a great job in in getting black people in in star wars involved in their franchise my favorite character darth vader was played by james Earl jones like the voiceover so like he was representing there but at the same time lando he didn't have a big part but they still found a way to represent african-americans or black people in star wars franchise they could have very well did it all white people and aliens but they had black people in it um well give me you know how i feel give me star trek any day well they had lavar burton and he's uh also on reading rainbow but he was uh he for me, he was a um, a big figure, uh, African American figure in in sci-fi for me. Yeah, and absolutely. I am not so keen, why I'm not so uh, I guess keen on a lot of African American literature because that's my genre. Like I like starships and robots and mm-hmm. and trying to vision visualize the future. And again, I guess I didn't let you answer that question, but why, why do you think that uh, we're not in sci-fi? You answered it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> like I was listening to you said that chick mentioned that, and I was thinking for myself, yeah, bro, like I hate to say it, our group lives day to day. And hmm. I mean, but wouldn't that be wouldn't that be marvelous to to have a, a grand vision for the future, you know? Like, um, yeah. And and I think uh, maybe after I'm, I'm writing a Skyward book right now, mm. and I think after I'm done with that, I, I'm gonna do a, a sci-fi novel, just to play around with it, I guess. I give you one contribution I, back sci-fi. I give you one uh, movie. It was on Netflix. What was the name of that movie? It was good. It was a uh, black kids created time travel. Interesting. Um, I'm starting to see more movies represented on Netflix. Seems to have a slew of them. Ah, uh, what was the name of it? It was a good movie. Um, it, it was very inspirational because it finally. And I've been you and I've talked about it. It's about time we have some representation, like something interesting. Like I'm all about, you know, I'm a movie head, so mm-hmm. I hate if I can predict the movie. Same I don't like thing, it. man. I'm like, yo, it's a very, very, not very often do uh, you know. I can't see the foreshadowing and how it's going to play out. But I, I, it is very exciting times where, you know, more people can get in the film. Shout out to Nyasha. She's producing the Upgrade America documentary, you know, and um, independent film. There's no better time to get into independent film. But eventually, yeah, I do want to do sci-fi. I, I do want to represent how I see black people in the future and, and you know, my perception of the future. Uh, uh. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. It was okay. really good because I do want people to look at it. Um, where is this kid? Is this still here? It was good. Ah, oh, I gotta find it. 
Um, damn, they don't even. If you, uh, if you find a clip, if you find it later, I can um, maybe slide something in. Maybe. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we'll do that. If not, no, no worries. But um, yeah, that's something I would really like to see is, you know, black people getting into technology and um, I say technology or I say sci-fi because sci-fi lays the groundwork for technology like i was having a discussion with a colleague at work and mm. he was just saying like half the stuff that was in star trek the tablets and you know all the flat screens touch screens that was conceptualized in, in star trek you're whack you're whack movie <laughs> live long, live and, long pro and prosper baby live long and prosper <laughs> Yo, man, um, I, I, I will give them that, that uh, Star Trek is, they have inspired a lot of technology, but I think that world of, of black people getting into sci-fi, black people getting into technology, um, I don't know, it's, 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 it can only produce an exciting future, and that's something I want to push. I, I man, that whatever that lady said hit me in the chest because it is absolutely true. I felt that when you said that. I was just I could slide that clip in, um, yeah, that I found, and then you know, I, I could put that in there and you know, enhance it a bit more. But that's all I got. I believe you got anything else for me. Let me see. Um, I think, uh. Well, I was going to ask this question. So it was hard finding this information, mm -hmm. but um, the best example was we asked, I asked a question about Black Wall Street. Why? Oh, what, what do you think the difference is between a community and a neighborhood in your terms? When you hear community, what do you think of? And then when you hear a neighborhood, what do you think of? So I, I suppose uh, the best example would be Brooklyn, mm -hmm. let's call it um, Eastern Parkway. Okay. That's a really big Jewish community. Okay. Um, I like all the restaurants are coaster. Like, um, they have their own law enforcement. They have their own cops. Like, um, most of, most of the businesses, if not all, are, are you know they're, they're Jewish owned, and a lot of the people who they're they're also Jewish as well. So, and they have their own uh, hospitals, um, ambulances, of course, and, and things of that nature. To me, that is a community. Like you have a group of people with shared values, shared beliefs and, and things, and they're all there, they're working, they seem to be working for a common objective. And then you have neighborhoods where it's just like, I don't know, people where it's, it's integrated, but you don't have that sense of community where people are like, you know, are, are close knit or I just, I guess. I don't know how, how would you describe it you described it perfectly and i'll segue into another question of why do you think we don't have black communities like you described 
that Jewish community? Why do you don't why do you think we don't have those in America, black Americans? Mm. And I can only um I mean we do have West Indian communities, I've seen those are, are, are pretty big. And even there are why is it not so common? I should, I guess that's where you're going with. Yeah. They exist, but they're not so common. Um It takes a lot of foundation, uh-huh. and um, I suppose to extend that family is a uh, is a foundation. Common interests like a, you know a religion, beliefs, and everything. But um, I think there's not a lot of cohesiveness uh-huh. with, uh, within the black communities. I mean, we need to come together more. But I, it's not anyone's particular fault like i do believe there's uh, some sabotage involved uh-huh. you know even with the whole uh, overpopulated prisons which is great uh-huh. the, the nuclear family you know um there's, there's all types of fuckery in, in, involved to to prevent that stabilization so i know yeah, if i had to sum it up it's um it's a, it's a lack of foundation, you know, to, to build upon. So, this is, I'm going to bring something else up. Okay. Historically in America, we had black communities. Yes. So, this is the thing. We, we talked about, I forgot what episode we talked about. What annoys me is, I would say white america wants doesn't want to necessarily integrate with us like they're annoyed by us right (laughs) what makes you say that well historic example black wall street so we finally got all our own stuff where we're self-sufficient and white people decide to domestically terrorize and burn that shit to the ground that's um yeah depicted in in, uh, in the Watchmen, um and yeah that happened. What was that like nineteen twenty one? Mhm. And I don't want to say we're we're over that, but do you foresee something like? Is it as that bad today? I think it answers the question I posed earlier. I think that's why we don't have communities is because of those historic examples when we do create a community eventually white america is going to come terrorize us for creating our own community so um we briefly mentioned like private cities on another episode but Mm -hmm. this if a bunch of black people came together about mm-hmm. acres and acres and acres and acres of land, private property, and then they built their own little, let's call it the Black Disney World, but not so much a theme park, like a community. Like, gotcha. Could they? Do, you think they could? We could do that. I think we can do it. 
will it sustain is the issue I have. Like, I believe we can conceptually do it. I think we can do it. Will, will we be able to have longevity is the issue due mm. to um, outside influence, meaning okay. laws, environmental um, codes, like coding, zoning, and all that stuff. Like, because it's only it's it's more than one way to dismantle something it's never it don't always have to be like combat it can be legislature it can be yeah yeah but it's like if you're going into let's just say let's take wyoming for instance my understanding there are more cows than people there Uh now if african americans went there and they bought up all that land they they installed themselves into how do you say into the town's politics and on these boards and committees? Sure. People make the rules. Sure. You know, it, it's people that that make laws, and you know, it's people that amend them. So it's like, sure. and uh, I have this. One of my flaws is that I tend to oversimplify things, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I I think it's possible. Like you know, we we look at examine the state. Uh, of our nation right now and its acceptance towards African Americans and there's a lot of talk about you know black state and it's not going to happen like uh, a 51st state or something like that I think it would have to be along these terms like yo let's buy up all this land we this is ours now this is a community and you know have a private state and then you have your school you can run your schools how you see fit you can do all that and I don't know I'm just throwing ideas out there mm-hmm. but I guess I have a question would you move there hmm I think I'd be the, the mayor for a little bit sure <laughs> I mean after I think, I'm done with the presidency I think I would move there because I mean if you move to one of those like Wyoming there's infrastructure there you just gotta build up the rest of it so I want to build it clean like Oh, like Skyward, Skyward style, you yeah. know, with the whole plastic uh, building with the plastic clean green infrastructure and you know, I, you know, I like my domes and my shipping containers. So. Oh, no doubt, that's that's a possibility as well. I imagine you have a whole plethora of structures and types mm-hmm. of building, and you know, um, for your 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 working class citizens, for more wealthier people, and things of that nature, but. Why not give it a shot? You know, a little test pilot in one of these uh, little backwater states and uh, and see. You know, if people aren't happy, let's build our own thing. Yeah, um, yeah, man. We'll see what the future brings, man. This is a very thought-provoking and emotional uh, surprise of a podcast, man. Because you hit me with some stuff, I'm like, man. <laughs> Just another episode on Upgrade America. Great show on Earth. But yo, I just want to say everybody, thank you for joining, for listening, hanging out with with us on our wonderful podcast. And yo, you got any closing remarks? Nah, I just hope people don't look at this as hate white America everything, but it is to show Historically, white America has not been fondly friendly to black Americans. 
from the past to the currently. Um, I think we're tolerated more now, but not necessarily accepted. That's my opinion. But, um, you know, I'm not trying to alienate anybody. This is Black History Month, so we're talking about the Black experience. And that's what I want you guys to understand, um, guys and girls, everybody. So I want to leave y'all on a positive note. Like, yeah, Black history has a lot of blemishes. Like, it has a lot of bad things in, in our past. And, and, you know, right now, things could always be better. But going back to the whole sci-fi thing, the, the future has the potential to be anything we want it to be. And, you know, while we are here, we, we have that, that we have the, the capability just to strive towards building something. If only uh, a, a privatized black state, you know, like we're, we're, we're here now. We, we can reshape the future. So, yeah, just stay positive, stay blessed, have a great night, evening, day, wherever you're at in the world. Catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.